first of all, I will say that I share all of the anger and frustrations that the public have whenever I hear those trolley numbers. Um, it's day after day, not month after month, day after day, trolley numbers in UHL are, are breaking all national records. And I think all of this, and I have to be very frank with you, um, boils down to the decision taken. Uh, my own party were in government at the time, uh, along with other parties. In 2009, the decision was taken to downgrade Ennis General Hospital, and it was taken to downgrade um, St. John's and Nina General Hospitals. And at the time, uh, Mary Harney was Minister for Health, and she promised a Centre of Excellence in Limerick, and that never materialised. Um, the dogs in the street could have told you that when you downgrade one facility, you have to significantly invest and upgrade the other, and they didn't. So I would say that Minister Stephen Donnelly and indeed the couple of ministers that have come before him have been firefighting, trying to um, improve a facility that was, in my eyes, pretty much run into the ground by lack of investment, lack of new beds, um, lack of diagnostic and surgical investment. A lot is happening there at the moment. Um, I was in hospital there. I, I, I had to go into A&E myself on New Year's Eve. I had a, a rumbling appendix that was quite close to bursting for a finish and I had emergency surgery. I too spent uh, two and a half days on, on a trolley. I was superbly looked after by nurses, but I was in a trolley and, and I, I met many patients in the, from Clare and Limerick and I spoke to them about their experiences. I saw uh, the best of the hospital in terms of how the staff work their socks off, do an incredible job there and I really want to acknowledge that. And I also saw the huge limitations of the hospital. The big thing that struck me was... Um, I was in relative comfort on the on the trolley. I was hooked up to a drip and I was pain-free before I went for surgery. But you have no privacy. And when a doctor or nurse comes down uh, that corridor asking you intimate questions, um, everyone around you can hear you. Mind you, when you're moved on to a ward, the, the Nightingale wards, as they call them, um, they're the very old wards, some of them dating back to the 50s and 60s. You're only separated from the patient beside you uh, by a, a flimsy curtain, a surgical curtain. So you don't have great privacy there either. While I was on a, a, a trolley, um, Minister Donnelly knew I was in hospital, I suppose, where it had filtered through colleagues in, in politics. And he, he, we were WhatsApping, sure, we were in contact. Uh, and I gave him a raw assessment, I suppose, of what I had seen as a patient. Um, when I arrived in hospital, the, um, it, it wasn't the busiest period. There were people on trolleys. I was one of them. But certainly as the month of January has progressed, the numbers are higher and higher than ever. There's significant construction work uh, continuing in, in the UHL campus to build this new 98-bed block. Um, and there's a commitment in government to go again and build another 98-bed block. The building of these uh, rooms, uh, and they're now, they're now individual rooms, they're no longer the Nightingale wards, uh, but the building of those rooms is essential to freeing up the logjam that we see in the accident emergency department. Um, there's also dialysis and new surgical hubs. There's an awful lot happening. And yet um, people know that all of these projects take time and that's a very little consolation to someone who's stuck in a trolley because these changes, although they're happening and they're positive, they're not happening quick enough for people stuck in trolleys. And Cahill, we're seeing the knock-on effects of that. I mean, during this week alone, the UL Hospitals Group had to cancel over 230 elective surgeries 
and that's just up to Wednesday of that of 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 this of this particular week. That's not including what will come at, at the weekend and potentially into next week. And there was another protest on the twenty first, uh, where over four hundred people marched to UHL it, during a status orange weather warning, which will indicate the level of public anger and frustration, calling for the reinstatement of ANEs. Last year, eleven thousand people attended this protest, and the government seems to have absolutely. No plans to take any action on it. Minister Donnelly has consistently poured cold water on the prospect of reopening A&E's and the prospect of even introducing an elective hospital for the region. So the people are really wondering, is it just a case of wait for the new beds that are coming in hopefully 2027 until then just suffer? No, I don't think uh, the, the government's plan doesn't... Oh, suffering isn't in anyone's plan and it's it's to see people uh, in trolleys um, and, and even worse than trolleys. We always talk about trolley watch, but a lot of people sit in armchairs uh, around the accident emergency department to wait there for, for 12 hours, sometimes up to a day, where there's zero level of comfort. Um, the beds are absolutely intrinsic to this, and this has been the clinical advice all the way along, that until you build beds, you cannot free up the, the hospital system overall. The other big factor is recruitment. There's been a huge amount of recruitment. They hold, call them whole time equivalent hours in the hospital system. There's been a massive increase in UHL. Indeed, the operational budget of the hospital in UHL has gone up 19%. There's an extra 19% of funding, almost 20% since this government took up office. Um, you're asking about the other solutions. I, I really think, uh, and I've long held the view that that 2009 closure was an absolute disaster and it has haunted this region every day since. Um, some people in the political sphere still talk about centres of excellence and I think that's insulting to um, to intelligent people here in this region to say that uh, you can build a centre of excellence in one hospital and neglect the rest of the region. 2009 didn't lead to any improvements because we didn't see that significant investment in UHL. We're now seeing inroads being made uh, but many people have died and many people have languished on trolleys between that point and now um the the campaign and, and the protests that we see and i've attended many of them over the years center around the argument that there should be an upgrading of ennis that there should be an upgrading of nina and there should be an upgrading of st john's um i've gone many times to minister donnelly and i have asked him because we all hear that there is clinical advice and clinical evidence which suggests that can't happen um, and what I'm hearing, and I'm a member of the Oireachtas Health Committee along with Senator Martin Conway, what we're repeatedly hearing is that um, the clinical experts, not the politicians, the, the clinical people, the management people in UHL uh, are saying that it would be um, hazardous, the word hazardous has been used before, um, to upgrade um, Ennis, Nina or St. John's again, um, because it would it would dilute the resource, the region it would dilute the healthcare. I'm not fully convinced by that, and I've asked Minister Donnelly uh, that he and his officials would go and have a fresh look at this. Nothing remains static in political life, and nothing remains static in the world of health, as so many patients know. And I think a fresh analysis of all of that um, would, would, would be very worthwhile. Um, an elective hospital, some of the hospital campaigners and those who organise the protests, um, I suppose they, they, they're very much looking at the emergency aspect and um, the inpatient care. 
I do think an elective hospital in the Midwest is something, and Martin Conway and I have continuously lobbied for it at the Health Committee. It is essential because uh, someone who's having um, knee, hip, throat, whatever kind of surgical um, intervention, they're also going through UHL. They're going through as inpatients. They're staying in the bed for three or four days before they're rehabilitated and brought home. Uh, So their presence in the hospital, all important as it is, is also making sure that somewhere down along the corridors, um, someone can't move up to a ward because we're having elective surgery co-located with, with, with emergency department and emergency surgery. So I think if the two can be decoupled and if we could have um, if we could have somewhere, it's, it's, it's most likely going to be in Limerick, but I think the site has been mooted anyway. Uh, if we could have um, elective, an elective only hospital, I think it would ease off a lot of that pressure that UHL faces. And Carl, can I ask you, because we had a discussion on Morning Focus earlier about this with Councillor Killian Murphy and with Marie McMahon from the Midwest Hospitals campaign. Marie McMahon and the Midwest Hospitals campaign are of the opinion that Clare's elected government members are ignoring the mandate of the people to consistently call and lobby for the reinstatement of a Model 3 in Ennis. And look, I suppose your party colleague again, Councillor Murphy, believes that the government aren't doing enough to secure a Model 3 in Ennis and that there's a lack of a political will there. Is that something now that you will c- commit to lobbying for and presenting to Stephen Donnelly for or what do you believe the solution is for the Midwest region? Yeah, so look, it, it, it's, it is fair and reasonable for any lobby group to, to criticise politicians when it comes to health because um, when you're seeing a whole sector that's underperforming and has pretty negative outcomes for a lot of patients it's only fair and reasonable that politicians would would get the brunt of the hanger um we have seven Oireachtas representatives in Clare at the moment uh five of five of those are government party representatives i'm the only one who has called out that 2009 decision for what it is um we need to say it was wrong you you need to government collectively even Stephen Donnelly um i think has to say that 2009 didn't work you can only rebuild something when you admit that there was an error it wasn't his error i don't think he was i don't even believe Stephen Donnelly was in politics at that stage in 2009 but that 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 failure needs addressing um in terms of what happens next um Ennis Nina and St John's uh, i would be supportive of um the upgrading of of Ennis ideally and i've a, a county bias here but I also think there's a, a medical bias that Ennis should be the one because of particularly people back near Councillor Killian Murphy's parts of the county in the extremities of West Clare they're far far removed from UHL they're far far removed from the hospital in Galway as well uh, if there was a, a medical argument um, which said that this should happen and it can happen I would support that in the interim period we've seen two manifestations that I think have been largely positive the local injuries unit in Ennis and the medical assessment unit. And we had a change of protocol there just some months ago where now if someone uh, calls an ambulance, makes that 999 call in County Clare, um, many of them are now being taken to the medical assessment unit in Ennis. It doesn't operate on a 24-7 basis. Um, neither does the local injuries unit. Um, but there's been significant increase of, of, of funding and capacity at those two clinics. And I think that they should be used far more and I think we should possibly be examining if they can be opened on an 18 hour day basis ideally then moving on to a 24 hour day basis because you can bring so many people through those facilities um, someone who's an injury 
sports match of the weekend, someone who acquires a farm or workplace injury, they should all be going through those facilities, uh, not into UHL. And then I also believe that um, GP care and primary care in, in this region can be ramped up further because it's far too often uh, if someone presents with a certain symptom at their GP practice, um, they're told, you know, you need to go to A&E to get checked out. I don't believe everyone needs to be funneled through the acute emergency system for, for you know, for, for checkups like that. As a country, and I'm not singling out any practice here, but as a country, I think we've become far too litigious in terms of the, the, the medical profession. And I think uh, many doctors heretofore would have made a decision based on their incredible skill and knowledge, and they would tell a person, this is my honest belief, and this is how we're going to treat it. But now far too people are being sent into A&E to be investigated. And we need to look as well at the figures that go into A&E. A lot of them do not end up on the ward system um, a couple of days later. An awful lot of them are discharged, sent home. They're given uh, a plan of action. Very often by a junior doctor, they meet you know, years younger than the, the GP they've met, they met in the first place. And they're sent in then through the inpatient route. So we're in that scenario that I've outlined, we're just putting a patient through a kind of a revolving door of care and, and that really isn't what's, what, what we should want. The, the, the real shining light, I think, here, in my eyes, would be the medical assessment unit, the injuries unit in NS General Hospital, but also those, those primary care centres. The one on Station Road is just gleaming. It's brand new. Uh, and anyone who hasn't been in there should really try to take a look at it because there's so many um, outpatient facilities there at the moment that are helping to keep people out of accident and emergency. And, and really that kind of integrated care is what we really should be bankrolling as a government. Uh, but if there is a medical argument that we go full hog and reverse that 2009 decision, if we get the medical evidence that that needs to happen, uh, it, it would have my 110% support.